What is going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Hollywood Already Did It, your weekly movie podcast for things that have been rebooted, remade, sequelized, adapted, or otherwise unoriginal and uninspired. As always, I am your host, Blake Schultz, and with me today is Terrence Tatum. Hello, everyone. And as we continue our march down the COVID train into week 15, why not? That sounds right. Yeah. It will be 100 days tomorrow. That's exciting. Wow. From At least That's... for us, because we started our we like office a... shut down on March 13th. Yeah. Uh, similarly with other parts of the world. That was when LA's social distancing and mandates, and that was also uh, when the we as in a, a country declared a state of emergency. And it will be 100 days tomorrow on June 21st, which will also be the new day that the Mayans are... The calendar is predicting the end of an era. We read it wrong the last time. So if you really want to play with numbers and conspiracies, we can change up this podcast and it'll be a lot shorter because that's all I've got. Uh, but I'm vamping because there are no new movies. Because yeah. once again, there's a few, right? The um, You Should Have Left is out and that's yes. not a reboot or remake of anything. But we thought we would once again do another Quarren Stream mini episode of what we've been watching as we continue our social distancing and podcasting over Skype, which is why if there are any internet hiccups, that's why that happens, because we wear our masks and we don't go near people. Yeah. And if you think that's a political <laughs> statement, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> uh would you like to go first, Terrence? What have you been watching? Uh, <laughs> um, it was funny. My watch for my series that I watched since last time was based on yours because you watched um, the Space Force, the Greg Daniels show. And I was like, oh, Greg Daniels has another one that he's done. So I went to Amazon and checked out Upload. Um, and it's funny because... I'm not that big of a Greg. I, I can admit that Greg Daniels is funny, but I never really got into The Office, the American version, because I'm not a Steve Carell fan, so I also didn't watch Space Force. But I did like Parks and Rec, so I'm like, all right, cool, I have one thing that I kind of did see him on. So his humor works for me. So I went to Amazon and watched the pilot episode of Upload and immediately fell in love. And it went from, oh, I'll watch one or two of these in a day to... Uh, I've watched the entire front half of the series and I have three more episodes to go before I go to bed. And Stacy, my wife, joined in with me about halfway through the first episode and she's like, what is this? And I kind of caught her up to speed. And then she also was like, no, we can keep going. We can, much to the dismay of we should have been going to sleep that night. But we kept we kept cranking them. I was like, well, we can do one more. It'll be fine. <laughs> Time doesn't matter. You got to make your house Vegas right now. No clocks, <laughs> no windows, no sunlight. None of it matters. <laughs> um, and so in two days, we burned through all 10 episodes and I really... Really enjoyed it. I had not seen much of um, the younger Amel brother, not Green Arrow, but his, his Robbie. I had not seen much of him. This is the first time I really got to see him, and I thoroughly enjoyed him as the lead. But I was smitten and just could not take my eyes off the female lead off of this, um, Andy Allo, who apparently also was a part of Prince's um, three girl blind, like three eyes blind type of a band before Prince died, which was a good rabbit hole to go down to because I'm a huge Prince fan. But I didn't know this was the same person. But what I really loved about this show is that the concept, it, at heart, it's still a romance story, basically a romance triangle that happens. But 
at the very heart of it, that's what it is. But it's with this sheen or this new sheen of um, death and how the, the technology sort of plays into that and what you can do with people once they, they're post-death. And I found that that's that weird, sick, twisted stuff that is both interesting to me and then also still pulls at my relationship and love heartstrings at the same time. And I felt it was a good blend that there are some moments when the tone goes from left to right really quickly and it's like, all right, I'm trying to catch whiplash as to what the tone is. But as a person who loved Scrubs, who also did that <laughs> type of weird tonality switches, I kind of could get in and get my footing. And then once I got that, the rest of the series was easy for me to, to fall in love with. Yeah, it's interesting because I tried the pilot because I love Greg Daniels so very much from The Simpsons to King of the Hill to The Office to everything else that he's done in parts of Space Force. And I just couldn't <laughs> connect to the pilot. And I don't right. know if I was just a little fatigued on watching things because I feel like that came at a day where I had been binging other stuff and had movies mm -hmm. on and then watched another show and then tried the pilot. and But to me, the disconnect came from kind of two places. The first one was almost the agency behind him making the decision and it not really being his, but he almost played that scene as if he was going to live anyways. And it felt like they were going for it to be this like slapstick. Ha ha. He's making this decision near death, but he seemed so awake and like quippy in that moment that it, it kind of disconnected to me how close he actually was to needing it. Because if he's able yeah. to, have these moments with his girlfriend of, oh, I, life is a long time, forever, I, I don't know. I'm like, well, he's not he's not that hurt then because he's right. having time to be s sarcastic. I, it, um, it's funny. I will say this without spoiling it in case you do choose to continue on. The reason why you get that read is on purpose. Like, that is done intentionally because there's more behind all of that. But yes. <laughs> okay, that makes sense. Because I feel like that was the other... The other kind of weird part to me was it's in the future, which I get because you need to have this technology justified to have the data afterlife. Right. But if that was supposed to be the, like, Willy Wonka, cool, look at this new world and new technology and new inventions, I felt like the real world was almost too advanced that the like fantasy elements were kind of blending into it's the hard real to tell world the and between what's, it's hard to tell the difference what's between the tech world and what's the stuff that we're doing in the real world is very tech based and advanced too i get it yeah um it's funny because i think that's sort of it's a weird thing because i i mean the good place sort of fits into this this realm too but i think this is a little they do that on purpose because they want to blend and show that what happens after life isn't that different. Like they don't want the stuff that happens in that in that world to feel so different, so that you still have some feelings of 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 humanity, even though you're quote unquote dead. So I think that's done on purpose. But yeah, as far as especially on the first part of yours, I would definitely say that without going into specifics, as the show goes along, you'll see the reason why he was reacting that way was was done purposely and the reason why his girlfriend was acting in that manner was also done on purpose. Got it becomes 
it's a weird thing. It becomes this weird espionage thing thrown in too behind it. So it's it's fun. <laughs> well, that was the other thing that I kind of caught on to was they bring up that they've been working. There's like a, a classist theme in there of only certain mm-hmm. people can afford whatever the company name is that's doing the, the high upload end. she has. Yeah, the high uploads. And yeah. they're working on the like universal health care of the afterlife that like everyone can do and it's Mm-hmm. And suddenly he gets uploaded and he can't remember what he was working on. He doesn't know who he was. There's gaps in the memory. Yeah. We see at the end of the pilot, the like machine kind of go in and start erasing. So you start kind of putting together that the like big brother of this company doesn't want him doing whatever it is he's doing. So they're going to stop it. I guess then the question, and you've watched the whole show, so maybe this is part of it. If, the company was trying to kill him and put him in here. He can't program that afterlife when he's dead, right? Like that's, that's gone now. They've won. (laughs) Correct. Uh, Without, remember that he wasn't alone in creating his, 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 his setup. So he had a team that was doing that. So that, that sort right. of plays into it too. And it's like, who did what? And it becomes a whodunit. I would say it's a weird thing, especially with sci-fi shows. It's always weird because that first episode is just trying to create the world. And you're like, all right, I don't get the human aspects or I'm not missing, I'm missing a lot of the humanity in this because you're trying to be so big, big scaled and so wide scoping. I would say the second episode, they really get into the young lady, her side and kind of strip down and get very human characteristics while still having the futuristic stuff and all of that stuff. Um, you start breaking down characters. And I think when it comes down to it, this series is about her and Robbie and, and Andy's character uh, the most. And I think see episode two and three, but two specifically is about her. Three is more so about him. Um, do well to kind of lower the height of what this realism is and be like, all right, cool, now this is a realistic story that I can kind of get more behind. Because there were other interesting questions I liked. I liked when we met the programmer's father and it had this conversation of, oh, I can put you in here and then I will be assigned to your case and we'll be together forever. And him kind of reinforcing old religious themes of, well, no, I want to go to like proper heaven and your mom is already there. So why would I now circumvent that? Yeah, And that sticks around. They they continue that thread too. Which is a really interesting thing, I think, to bring up of kind of the big question with religion is always, not just religion, with life, is the afterlife and what comes next and this kind of idea of faith. And a lot of non-believers are usually just like, prove it. Show up and show me. Show me anything. And then you kind of have advertisements and marketing showing you that it's there. So Mm. then to kind of allude to the idea that there are now people who... We've proven that the afterlife exists. So then our other kind of denominations of it probably exist too. So you're now choosing a spiritual or a digital world. But even that digital world still has the infrastructures that we have as a society there's still somebody kind of governing you you we see in the pilot the like big beam of light that you can go to and be like lost forever and there are glitches and it's imperfect and all this other stuff and this is a permanent choice so i think there's some 
there's some interesting ideas in there, especially when you look at it, I think, through the lens of a relationship of yeah. it almost gets very Seinfeldian. Like you can almost hear like a Jerry Seinfeld bit of like the afterlife is going to be forever. I don't know if I'm going to want to see you tomorrow. Why right. would and I it, die and wait for you? And then they play, I mean, that gets played up too as it goes along. Like she starts going to therapy and all of this stuff. It's like, do I really want to wait along this way? Like, is she being faithful to him while he's just dead? Like that whole thing. And he's got this thing where he can't mess around or do anything else because she's paying for everything. So it's, it's that weird thing like, oh, I'm on her dime. So I have to like follow her rules for everything. And it, some of the humor and some of the heart and pain comes in out of that. So it's, it's interesting. Are they getting another season? They are. They are. They were actually going to be doing it uh, now, but, you know, life. Well, there we are. <laughs> a lot of that going but, around. But, yes, they are filming. They are doing a second season. Because um, it lifts, this ends on a cliffhanger. Then I'm like, oh, God damn it, Greg Daniels. Now I, I need you to give me a, a second season. Well, I hope it was a better cliffhanger than Space Forces, which was less of a cliffhanger and more of a we forgot to have an ending. <laughs> Not sure why we made that choice maybe he's busy i don't know if he's ever done two shows before i still I, think that you can kind of figure out when the simpsons starts to go awry because he starts doing the office yeah yeah <laughs> sync up those years when blink 182 and tony hawk showed up with some prime office years but the simpsons started to dip then <laughs> and that yeah. should have been perfect that's just three 90s icons in a venn diagram like this should just stop. work Ah. <laughs> uh. Has that been your main one? Have there been any movies you've revisited or anything else? I obviously, uh, I, I don't know if I've talked about it here, but I'm a massive, when we did our Ghostbusters episode, I did, but I'm a huge Ghostbusters fan. So I definitely, I've, this week I watched both one and two of the we original. We watched Ghostbusters one the other night. Oh, nice. Nice. Because I've been <laughs> buying the toys. <laughs> I uh, I forget how much of that movie, guys. I used to watch it so much as a kid. I forget how much of that movie I can recite verbatim without even like blinking an eye, like thinking about it. I'm like, oh yeah, this movie is amazing. Um, and I know people like to crap on the second one, but Vigo and his his um, assistant, the the guy that Dana works for, is phenomenal. Like I can I can watch him uh, all day. It's a little more. There were some things that I noticed, and I was like, oh, this is a little bit more kitty. Um, than the first one was and I, I think that was sort of done on purpose because like at that point in time you're starting to compete with like Ninja Turtles and all of that stuff but like um, I just the thing that I couldn't take my my eyes off of and I was like why was this a choice is that they had in Ghostbusters 2 the logo on their shoulder all had the ghost logo with a 2 on it and and even the ghost logo on the firehouse had a 2 on it and I was like why That's would the branding choice, change parents. Why would the brand new toys? I was like, this makes absolutely no sense. Uh, do these people know that they're in a second movie? <laughs> I was well, I we were talking about this from the toyetic side of it because we, I got the new. They're calling it the Plasma series, and it's the four Ghostbusters. It's Dana and it's Dozer, and it builds the dog. Right. And, and so we were like, oh, we gotta watch this movie because these figures are great, and that's what that's what happens. And then we were, me and my roommate were sort of spitballing. I'm like, well, well, now what? Like, what do you do in a toy line like Star Wars or Spider Man or DC or even horror movies? You can go down this list for so long, but it's really like Ghostbusters one, two, and 2016. Right. And I think this toy line was obviously designed to go, come buy these for like the adult collector. And then the new movie will come out and we will make those. 
right. the new movie did not come out. And we should like, be watching it now. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I was like, I don't know. I guess they like they do this a lot with Ghostbusters lines where they just re-release them with slime on them. Or yeah. like we have the gray suits from two with the number two on it. And that is it's funny you brought up Turtles. I feel like Ghostbusters 2 came out at that time and Turtles kind of had the same switch where the first one was very dark and serious and emotional. And the second one was like, what if we just made a commercial for toys and pizza? Right. And it's great. Don't get me wrong. I still love them both. but Yeah. (laughs) And then the third one. But it was that weird (laughs) turn where everything had an animated show. Everything was geared to like kids and fast food and toys and really pushing for this. So you needed these like deep toy lines to go on forever. But Ghostbusters outside of the cartoon never really had that. So they right. just kind of kept having to be like, no, it's a gray suit with a number two on it. So when you brought that up, I immediately was like, yeah, that's got some real Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3 vibes where you just <laughs> put them in samurai costumes to be like, buy the Leonardo samurai yeah, now. Buy some new stuff? Uh, yeah, it just did. Like, I sat there, I was like, none of this makes sense. Why did I think of this as a kid? This just looks weird. Like, they're branding their two for reasons? <laughs> and they, yeah, they never address it. It's never brought up. It's just kind of like no. a weird in joke. Right, that, like even the even the Ecto has the two on it, and it's like Ecto two. I'm like, but why? <laughs> I it, the only thing I can think of is literally someone was like, we got to sell some new stuff. No one's gonna buy the same toy again. From like, yeah, I think it was a five year difference, and they obviously because the cartoon was big at the time, they just threw Slimer in there for reasons more. He's just in the firehouse. I'm like, but that doesn't make sense because in the movie world, Slimer was not. <laughs> yeah, it's a very like sequel movie where it, it's almost the same format and same follow-up and it is i gotta revisit yeah. it because i'm not a huge fan of it but i feel like now i'd be like no it's fun um yeah there there are moments I, the, the biggest part about ghostbusters 2 that works is the fact that those those guys are together again a, a lot of what makes that work is the chemistry between them and the chemistry between dana and and peter and and that stuff works but and the villain works. I, there are parts, there are a lot of aspects that work. I think if you just took out some of the silliness and the hokiness, and it is very much a repeat of part one, just with a new coat of paint. Yeah. Um, and those are the, the issues. But overall, it's it, it gets crapped on more than I think it deserves. It's just that cutesy or like family factor you can kind of feel. And it's really evident now when you're like, 20 years or 25 years removed from it. You're like, okay, there's a a stark difference between the two ways you approach these two films. They should have gone the Ghostbusters 2 route and just stuck them in a building and had crazy ghosts. Yeah. Yeah. That's all you needed. Because Gremlins 2 is a perfect sequel. It's it's funny, yeah, like, the you think about Gremlins 2, and it's a stationary, basically one set the whole time. You're like, all right, I'm down for this. Let's do it. No, it's just there to be like, what else can we do with these gremlins? Can we get crazy and weird? And what can we get away with? Like, how many IPs do we have? Let's give a bat. Let's give some bats to this gremlin. That'll be fine. Let's make a bad gremlin. I, I really think more movies need to do that with the sequel. Just be like, ah, whatever. <laughs> Throw it all. all. I like the Looney Tunes. Let's make a live action version of that. Right. Uh, what have you been watching while we while we've been in? Uh, well, 
Speaking of Gremlins 2 and Looney Tunes, that's a perfect transition. We've got an HBO Max in our apartment because I'm an idiot. <laughs> and uh, I love it. I really do. I don't think the interface is great. I think they can work on the fluidity of the app. And I get that a lot of people are upset because the DC movies have <clears throat> still weird licensing stuff. And there's a lot of Disney stuff that's obviously going to go to Disney Plus when the HBO things go away. And even all of the Time Turner classic movies aren't all there. People want deeper cuts. But look, I didn't have anywhere to access things like Carnival of Souls and even Casablanca before now. And hell yes, um, it's great to see all that. It's great even if it's just for a week to have all the DC movies around and easily accessible. Right, right. All the Harry Potter movies are there if you haven't burned all of those down yet. Um, but we've been doing the Looney Tunes, the, the, the relaunch, the remake, the reboot, whatever you want to call it. And I adore it. Really? The animation is so crisp and clean and it looks so good. And they've made just enough little differences from the old designs that make it feel fresh, but not enough that it's like Looney Tunes Extreme in the thousands. Oh, Jesus. I That stuff was nuts. <laughs> yeah. So we, we're not quite there. It really, really feels like the next logical step of the animation. Uh, and you can tell – I grew, the cartoons I grew up with were like Looney Tunes reruns, Dexter's Lab, Courage the Cowardly Dog, Rocco's Modern Life, Ren and Stimpy, uh, everything on Cartoon Network and Nickelodeon that was like slapstick and crazy and big – that was influenced by Looney Tunes, but then kind of like cranked it up to 11. Right. And you can feel that influence in this animation and in these shorts. There's so much like Nickelodeon reactions and like eyes and like camera looks and big thick Cartoon Network, like lines that are d dividing lines in the animation. And <clears throat> even just the way some of the violence plays out feels like an itchy and scratchy moment instead of like a classic Looney Tunes. Mm. And part of that is because they've taken away the guns. So that doesn't mean, which I don't mind. And I think being upset about it is dumb because you're probably not watching Looney Tunes if you're 45 and care about whether or not they have a gun. So right. it's done past you and it, it's over. Right. Get it's not it. a fight that you need. <laughs> right. And but I assure you, there is still violence. <laughs> and it gets this like much more kind of creative violence around it, where like one whole episode centers around an amusement park and Yosemite Sam and Bugs Bunny and kind of the tricks and traps that they fall into because they have to be much more creative about getting on this roller coaster and getting them off this roller coaster, where I feel like that kind of playset in the original Looney Tunes, if, if he had had his guns, would just be, I'm going to chase Bugs Bunny around with my pistols instead of kind of getting a new scheme at every branch of it. Yeah. But they feel like the characters. I mean, even like the deep cuts, um, the big red monster whose name I always forget is in there and he's feels exactly the same. They even have like the weird buzzards that would go between like sounding real like hokey and dumb to being very much like, well, when I catch the rabbit, I'm going to kill him and rip him apart. And yeah. it's fun seeing that in a new way. And that especially has like 
some big Courage the Cowardly Dog vibes about it of just the way that he almost plays more like a monster that's like timid and then crazy and then timid and then crazy. Uh, but it's cool just to see the things that I grew up with are now influencing the things that influenced them. Right. Uh, it also tells me that, it, you know, we didn't all just waste our times doing it. I do wish some of them, because they're so short, they're almost all a little, like, the same. It's almost always, like, we pair up two of the characters and we go on a, a chase or a quest or something where in the original Looney Tunes, because they were full 20-minute episodes sometimes, you had, like, the opera house and... Daffy Duck is a private eye with all the weird like Dick Tracy villains that he's going right. to fight. And Marvin the Martian had whole episodes with his dog. And there were kind of more realized stories where these almost feel more like skits. Like shorts. And, yeah. I, and it might be in there, but so far all the Marvin Martian stuff has just been like transitions in the skits where we oh. do like a Bugs Bunny episode and then he gets like a 30 second bit. And then we do the the next 10 minute episode and, Gotcha. He was one of my favorite characters, yeah. so I kind of want to see him. that. Right. But I'll tell you this, it gives me hope for Space Jam 2 if we can keep up this kind of animation and truth to these characters. Nice. I'm in. <laughs> uh, another good HBO Max show that I've started is Love Life with Anna Kendrick. That's the Kendrick one, right? Yeah. yeah. And it is, it's my kind of sappy bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> It is my kind of like cynical rom-com, dark comedy, but it, it opens in one of my favorite way. One of my favorite ways. I actually can't think of anything else that does this. It opens up. Uh, I guess maybe um, is it along came Polly where he's the insurance agent and is like, oh well, if you step there, there's an eight percent chance. Da, 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 da. Yeah. Each one kind of comes out with statistics. So the pilot opens and you get this overview of. Most people are going to have eight romantic relationships in their lives. Two of those will result in heartbreak. Two of them will be casual. Three of them will be like one night stands. And one of them will be like, quote unquote, true love. And Anna Kendrick's character will go through all of those and we're going to examine it. So the first episode is just like the person that you think is the one, but you're young and he's young and there's a job and here's what you're going to go through and how it's going to make you a more realized full person until the next time you make mistakes. Right. And then the second one is like, so here's the deal. X amount of people get a divorce. They wait two years to bring up if they want a divorce. They wait another year to act on it. And da, 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 da. And then that whole episode is about someone she meets who's divorced. And I really like this frame up of this voiceover that isn't a character in the show, but is rather just kind of this omnipresent force just telling the audience like look it's not a happy ending but here is a bunch of data that tells us that it's not always going to be a happy ending and sometimes it is going to be a happy ending so here you go those are the shows i've been watching any movies we actually also on hbo max and i just mentioned it uh we just did my roommate and i made a list of movies that the other one hadn't seen to be right. like, let's show each other stuff. And I picked a movie I hadn't really seen since film school called Carnival of Souls, which is an old like indie horror black and white movie that 
Romero cites his influence and James Wan cites his influence and all of these other people are like, well, you know, it goes back to Carnival of Souls. And it's a very simple movie. And I watched it in film school without the lens of history. And it's good and it's very interesting to watch because it is so easy and it scares. It just kind of follows a girl who gets into a car accident She miraculously gets out of it. She goes to an island where she's going to be an organ player for a church. And these, like, ghosts are just sort of following her. And it keeps being the question of, like, no one else sees the ghost. No one else sees the man. Am I going crazy? Am I not going crazy? And as the movie progresses, real people also ignore her. So she'll go to get a ticket, and the bus driver just won't even know that she's there. And the whole time there's this broken down carnival that was like, ah, well, it was this business and it was this business. And then it shut down as a carnival. And eventually she goes there and she sees all the ghosts. And then the twist and reveal happens, which is very premeditated. But watching it now, it's very minimalistic in its sets. And I think when you think of how everybody else does it, you look at kind of the makeup of some of these villains and you think of things like, Beetlejuice and these big set pieces that it got to have and these kind of weird roundabout ways of focusing on a character and almost making the horror ideas the backdrop and not really the focus. Because really the first scare doesn't happen in this movie for 20 or 30 minutes. And it's only a 90 minute movie. So you go through almost a third of the movie with everything being normal. And it's never a big like jump scare but when you even start to look at it, it's things like she looks out the window and there's a mask. She's thinks she's talking to her therapist and the the chair slowly turns around and there's the ghost instead of her therapist. And she's like hooking up with a guy and looks in the mirror and there's the ghost and she freaks out. And these are the kind of things that you start to kind of realize you go, oh, well, something like Sinister or even The Conjuring or almost anything Blumhouse does wouldn't exist without this anymore because it's so much less about the horror and more about the psychological trauma that this event is causing the person. And you sort of look at how even James Wan sets up things in Sinister with the pool or a painting or Insidious where the monster's behind the guy and people really only seen glimpses of the monster. It's not quite Alien and Jaws where we never see it It's almost the next step of like, well, it's there, but it's there just quick enough that even the audience might doubt that it's real. And it's more about one person going through this until other people either realize what's going on or they just never fully buy into it and it ends up causing somebody their life. Right. And you look at kind of even how it impacted Romero with how things were shot and having kind of a deeper statement behind it when you kind of get to some of his later movies. Cause that's a weird one because like his early stuff predates it, but his after stuff is after. And it's just a very cool movie to watch. Cause it's not like a lot of very, very old movies where it's hard to do with the pacing. It is still a movie that was made in the sixties, but it is, it's an independent movie from the sixties, which I feel like is a sentence. A lot of people don't really do a lot. When you think about indie movies, you really start thinking about them in the 90s and in the 80s. Right. Everything yeah. else then was kind of a studio setup director. Budget, yeah, it was like a ten, not a tenpole, but 
like it was attached to an a famous actor from a studio. It was all kind of tied together. Especially one that broke through that much. But so we did that, and then you know we're still putting on dumb comedies every night just to to turn off the noise for a while. Some of to them escape. are not very good. <laughs> <laughs> Although one that was very good is I watched Bill and Ted for the first time. Oh, nice! It's very well, good. Yes, yeah, so it's a fun. That's a fun flick. Uh, I it's. I guess that would make sense though, because you're younger than me, so like this wouldn't have it would have passed by the time you would have wanted to watch it. Uh, so that makes sense. So you probably missed it. But you yeah, liked but it. it. I did. It's it's good because the humor is so not pervasive, and it's all very like situational and just not even like grandiose, but just like weird situations like the yeah. the stepmom being so young, much younger and so much older and <laughs> yeah. kind of like and everyone acknowledges that it's weird it's not one of those things where it's like look at this dad who like bagged the young everyone's like this is a very off-putting situation <laughs> right <laughs> like, yeah. no one is okay with it um the one thing that did surprise me is almost how montage it felt like I, we were very quickly just going from set piece to set piece to collect all these people for one like big finale it's a lot but, like most of the saturday night live movies um wayne's world like that too where they it feels like it's all segmented like it skits on top of a, a, a scene of a skit on top of a scene of a skit on top of to get to the final part that's how those movies are structured that's true because and i guess that makes sense because they are sketch people so they would just yeah. kind of keep building and evolving yeah but you know i thought it was very funny uh yeah, i'm very excited for the third one now yeah yeah if you can't i mean it's not as good but if you haven't you should check out bogus journey uh it's oh, not actually original but it's there <laughs> there was a while where the sequels just weren't as good as the original it still happens obviously but yeah. I, I feel like up until even maybe like the thousands, the sequel was always like, eh, it's just not going to be as good or it's just going to be a rehash. I think, I think it's first... harder with comedies too. Yeah. Like comedy sequels are very hard because you kind of capture a moment in a bottle and then you try to recreate that exact same thing and it just doesn't work for whatever reason. Yeah, there's always, a, I mean, like sometimes it works, right? Like Austin Powers kind of made the same movie three times yeah. and I don't mind it. Uh, <laughs> I think American Pie actually does a very good job of evolving its story of going, but that's also like a slice of life movie where you can be like high school, college, marriage. Right. You, All of you these are going to be different. Right. We're going to have different situations. Yeah, that's actually not but, a bad question. The first sequel that you remember being like, that was better than the first one. <laughs> yeah. Because you start thinking about, especially for comedies, you start thinking like, oh, it's very difficult. Like Ace Ventura clearly is better than Ace Ventura 2. The Anchorman's clearly part one's better than the other. Some of those, the Anchorman's and the Zoolanders are a little bit also because they waited so much time between the two. But um, yeah, comedy sequels typically don't hold up. Wait, but uh, yeah, Austin Powers would be probably the one that I can think of off top. Like, oh yeah, no, that one's that one's not bad. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, the, that one I had the benefit of seeing the second one first. And I could talk about I, the Austin Powers movie for an hour and a half. I remember for a while, I saw the second one first and adamantly stood on the, 
the the throne that I thought two was better. And people were like, "Are oh, you crazy? You're you sound sick. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, I still think that's the case, but okay. It is better. <laughs> I've I've rewatched those movies more times than I'd care to admit, and I assure you, the second one is better. <laughs> Though the first one is great. Yeah. The second one is just so good. <laughs> yeah. Um, the stuff that I've wa- I did watch during this time, and and we hadn't really talked about. It, I did pop on a documentary because Stacy is obsessed with documentaries. Like that's her thing. She's like, oh Netflix, let's just scroll down the documentary list. So I did do that, and the 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 Jeff the Epstein doc was both good and disgusting at the I same think that's time. Exactly how that's supposed to be. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was just like, because. Look, I heard that name. Like, I was aware of who he was as a person, but I didn't really, and I knew what he was accused of. I just didn't know how deep and how many people it affected and how many people were, like, in his circle that now when people were like, oh, no, he didn't he didn't just die. He didn't commit suicide in prison. He, he probably was off. I'm like, oh, no, that, that tracks. 100% that tracks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean... Of course. <laughs> I don't think there's any doubt. No, it was it was a good it was it was a, that was another one where time was relative, didn't matter. We we watched three in a row, and we were ready to go to bed. And she was like, "Oh, how many more episodes are there?" I was like, "Well, there's only one left." She was like, "Well, then, play it. We we're in it now. We got to keep it going." And I was like, "All right, cool." Oh yeah, I think that's pretty much all I've. I'm sure I've been watching more. I feel like we put on at least two movies a night, and then I just. We did. We went through Wayne's World again. We've been revisiting all those. I think. I think our next one is going to be the Apatow movies. That, that's the next like. Did you watch, did watch King, King of, of Staten, Staten Island? Island? Yeah, I did Let's too. Talk about this movie for a little bit. Yeah, I I, I watched it. Um, so I talked about it a little bit on our on the on our YouTube channel. I did a little, a little review on there. But just to recap, I look. Here's the thing. I am not a Pete Davidson fan. Like I had absolutely no desire whatsoever to see this movie because, uh, like he, he for the longest gave me a visceral reaction. Like I just don't want to look at him or see him in any form whatsoever. So it took me a minute to actually pop this on. Um, that said, when watching it, I felt a little bit more closer and and re- relatability to him, um, especially for someone who who had a loss. Uh, I like the fact that this movie deals with like. It's not really a comedy. It's more of a, like a dark comedy. It's really twisted, but it deals with depression and mental mental health and all. And I love all of that. It just it suffers from the same thing that I think all Judd Apatow movies do, and it's just the lack of an editor. Like there are a lot of scenes where I just feel like he's he trusts his actor and he believes in his actor so much. He's like cool, just go, and I will never say cut, even though I should have said cut five minutes ago. <laughs> And yeah, and you started it, to feel that because the movie is not short. No, um, <laughs> not at all. I, I didn't hate it. Yeah, I, I don't hate it. The beginning so much more than the end. It yes. started off so strong, and then we kind of we almost tried to do too many things, and I wasn't really sure what we were trying to focus on anymore. If it was going to be him learning that his dad wasn't perfect and therefore it's okay for him to not be perfect and mending things with his sister and having a better relationship with his mom and fixing his relationship with this girl and having this relationship with these, these kids that his potential stepdad has and 
all of these other things. And then it kind of just coalesced into him being supportive of his girlfriend instead of just kind of putting her in the background and well, actually that's what's saying weird. things like girlfriend and love. And I just felt like there were a lot of arcs we just didn't close or do like get any type of resolution on. Like, vanished. It's weird. You're right. The second he goes into the firehouse and he starts hanging out with them, which I think is great, he builds himself up. But in doing so, I don't know if it's just a matter of like, oh, crap, the movie's already two hours long. We got to get out of this. But then that weird... <laughs> The weird action Bronson part happens, and you're kind of just like, well, is this now the finale? Because I haven't seen his sister in a while, <laughs> and I feel like they have some stuff that they need to resolve. Um, his mom just all of a sudden just comes. The only reason you see your mother again, because she kicked you out of your house, and when you showed up, just closed the door on you. The only reason you're here now is because you brought somebody in here to get stabbed. So I feel like the resolutions just did nothing came together. And then you're right, to end the movie on the girlfriend who for 40 minutes we hadn't seen again all of a sudden to pop back into on the screen you're like wait none of this really makes sense how we got here and i liked her all the performances yeah, were good like and i actually liked all the characters i just like marissa tomei bill burr maude apatow these people are rock stars in this movie they're just forces to be reckoned with yeah. and there's very funny moments it just kind of stops <laughs> it just yeah it just sort of gets to this weird place where i'm like okay are we now what are we doing and what are we saying? And I think when you watch, did you watch Big Time Adolescent on Hulu? No. You should. It's another Pete Davidson joint. Okay. Uh, who I'm also not a terribly big fan of, but I'm coming around. That movie deals thematically with very similar things of kind of somebody stuck in arrested development. And King of Staten Island has kind of the backdrop of it being trauma and just sort of stopping your own growth. But right. he's also only 24. So when it's like, I'm 24 and I'm a failure, I'm like, well, it's not that weird to live in New York and have to be dependent on your parents at 24. And it would actually be very easy for you to go back to college. It's not like you're... Because then when you look at kind of the way Big Time Adolescent does it, where he's more in this state of arrested development for his own, like, bullshit, it's almost much more looking at, like, mental health through the lens of sometimes you're your own worst enemy and just like, you got to get over yourself right. and the things that the things you never got to do, you never got to be the popular kid in school and you never got to have the girlfriend that you wanted and you never got to do this. And now you're living through this kid whose life will ruin you. And it's kind of watching how, these people who are stuck seem like really cool idols for a while until the guy who's idolizing it catches up. And then yeah. it's like, oh, I can either be you <laughs> or I could be better. I'm going to go be better. And that movie had a, a really powerful ending for what its message was. And I think when you kind of look at how they're thematically similar in King of Staten Island and a Big Time Adolescent, one of those movies is just so much more focused than the other one that I almost felt like I watched two movies that were very similar back to back and one of them just wasn't as good. <laughs> and I think that was also my like, oh, I kind of just because I, I, I said to my roommate Zane, I was like, it's weird that Pete Davidson made these two movies so close to each other because they're both kind of like 
his life through two different perspectives. The first one using like the actual trauma of his dad passing away. And the second one being a much more interpersonal have I peaked and am I just damaging people around me by existing as this weird, immature peaked person? Yeah. It's weird. That sounds kind of how like I feel what I felt when I watched um, how, how I'm a Blackish fan, and then to watch Black AF on Netflix because they're telling the, basically the same story, and it's the same creator telling the same story, but just using a slightly different lens. You're like, oh, I've kind of seen this done better this way. Um, and it helped. I just looked up the running time for adolescents, and it's only an hour and a half. That makes a huge difference. I don't know if you can really want to sit in a a film like this or a story like this for two hours. Like I just it just started being becoming it started becoming very repetitive um, yeah that, that was i think my problem was it was just sort of like oh and now he's gonna do this and he's gonna self-sabotage this and right now i will say i kept being like i know how this movie ends and then it and then i was wrong <laughs> that doesn't necessarily mean it was good <laughs> <laughs> no but yeah like, i just thought yeah. it was very okay like the scenes with like the whole cans for tips was very dumb but I understood why they were there because the next scene was just like, would have just been right on top of the one before it. Right. But I don't know. Yeah, you get the separation between the two manic, like the moments of mania for him. But yeah, it just, uh, I, and again, like I said, I liked, I liked the machine gun Kelly sequence and I liked the action Brosnan sequence, but both of them could have been cut about seven minutes each. And you're kind of just like, I just get in the scene and get out guys. We don't need to spend this much time extending also, the court if you're going to be a tattoo artist, just practice in a notebook. Yeah. Yeah. You don't need to practice on people. Just practice. And that's on the other thing that got a little weird. Cause like, it seemed like he was good when he was in the notebook. Cause he drew the art for the kid for his ice, his ice superhero pretty well, but he still just couldn't get stuff. And I'm like, guys, it might be better. You're right. It might be easier to just practice on a notebook as opposed to human flesh. Instead of, you know, ruining your potential stepfather's <laughs> entire back with, you know, stuff that you would take off of a fridge once your kid turns six. Right. Yeah. It was a weird thing to kind of use this as the book and like, see, he's growing by writing, by drawing random shit on this man's back. It's not better. <laughs> not better. Yeah. Um, that's our show, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Stay safe out there. You can leave us a review on iTunes. You can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups. That's Hollywood already did it. On Twitter at Hollywood ADI and Instagram at Hollywood already did it. I'm at as always Blake and Terrence is at Terrence Tatum and we will see you next week. Later.